2014, 26 year old man uh, drowned in the Chicago River. His name is Ken, Ken Huang. He was visiting from St. Louis, Minnesota, and he was with a couple friends, and they were taking pictures at midnight of the river. And uh, he managed to drop his cell phone onto the ice below, so he climbed over the rail. I went to get a cell phone and slipped into the water. He cried for help. As he cried for help, uh, Lauren Lee, one of the gals was with him, she came over the rail, jumped on the ice, fell into the water as well, and then she cried for help. And a third friend uh, reached out, came across, uh, and got on the ice and fell in the water as well. Uh, Ken died that night in the hospital. Uh, Lauren's body was found two days later. The other young man was released from the hospital that night. All willing to risk their lives, to invest their whole their lives to save a cell phone. Thought it was worth it for some reason to climb over the rail and risk their lives. Totally different uh, direction. Guy by the name of Stephen Feltham. Uh, he, uh, he has spent his uh, over 25 years trying to discover the mystery of the Loch Ness Monster. And he has sold his house. He has uh, quit his job. He, invited, he invested in a uh, van that he could live in. And uh, there was a special done on him for this, uh, I would say, absurd, but seemingly absurd commitment. And he said this, the reason I sit here and I try to solve the mystery is because that's what makes my heart sing. My life gives me freedom, adventure, unpredictability. It's a dream come true. Now, he may say that today, uh, but I wonder at the close of his life, when he looks back, if he lives to an older age, he looks back and says, what did I invest my life in, and was that really worth spending my life on this Loch Ness monster, monster hunt, if you will? You know, I can point to man or person after person who has invested their life in a career. I think of one guy, again, a repeated story, but uh, did everything the company asked, pursues this career, He's going to climb that ladder, and there just comes a point where after years of doing everything he's asked, they just say, you know, it's not going to happen. You're, you're, we're not going to promote you to any higher level. And he had sold his family, you know, his everything basically on the altar of this career, and it didn't happen. And he leaves dismayed saying, what did I invest my life in? There's the other side of the coin, those who invest their life in their career, and they reach the top of the ladder. You know, they, they work and work and work, and they get there. And you hear this from athletes who won the Super Bowl to men who invested, men and women invest their life and careers, and they get to the top and they go, this is, this is it? This is what I sold my life for? I thought it'd be more. I thought I'd find more fulfillment, more meaning, more purpose. And they realize they climbed the ladder of success and the, the ladder's on the wrong wall. Not maybe sure what the wall is that they're supposed to be climbing in that way. Um, you know, people invest in all kinds of things. We spend our lives, people pursue money. I'm going to get all this money, and the money is going to give me security. And, and there's all kinds of stories of people with money. I don't know if you've heard about the, the lady. This is like 2009. Um, she, uh, she was an elderly woman in Israel. She'd hidden her life savings in her mattress. She had a million dollars of cash, American cash, and Israeli shekels in her mattress. Slept on it every night. She didn't trust banks. So here she is sleeping, and one day her daughter, unbeknownst to what's going on, she says, you know, mom needs a new mattress. That mattress is old and lumpy. 
you know? So she didn't want her mom there, but she brings this new mattress, so they, they take her old mattress out. They bring in the new mattress. She's all excited. She shows her mom, oh, mom, man, I got your new mattress. This is going to be great. I can't wait to see the smile on mom's face. Mom comes in. Mom doesn't really think about the time until she's sleeping on the mattress that night and all of a sudden wakes up and screams. So what do they show next? The video news shows this daughter walking through a dump trying to find this mattress and bulldozers plowing around trying to find the missing money which they did not find from what I understand. All an investment of her life in her mattress. And it went away like, poof. Sleep beauty rest, you know? <laughs> oh, they worked. You know what? Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all... This is talking to Christians, okay? Believers in Jesus Christ. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We're all going to stand for... Jesus is going to say, how did you invest your life? How did you use the time, talent, treasure I gave you? And this is about rewards. Again, it's not about salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, your salvation is secured. That's not the issue here. The issue is we're standing for the judgment of Christ as Christians... And he's going to give judgment. He's going to say, how have you invested your life and you receive rewards? Or as 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, sometimes you're going to make it as saved yet as through fire. You know, uh, the choice is really, really ours. You know, Jesus gives this counsel in Matthew 6. He says, uh, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, thieves break in and steal, your daughter ships them away to the dump. Um, it says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desire of your heart will also be. You know, the question we really we have to ask ourselves when we come to, to situations like this and say, what am I investing my life in, and is it worthy of my investment? What am I investing my life in? I mean, we just kind of bounce through life. You know, running around, Psalm 39 talks about how, you know, David's talking about how short life is, and we've been bustling around saving, saving money and making money, but then someone else spends it after we die. It's, it, we, we sometimes lose sight of what we're really here for. What am I investing my life in, and is it worthy of my investment? When I look back at my life, at the end of my life, if you live long years, you have the ability to do that. You go, man, I invested well in things of the Lord, or, man, I, I wasted my life. What did I do? I just wasted my life. Why did I do that? And more importantly, when we stand before Jesus at the beam of seat judgment, is he going to say, way to go? Or is he going to say, man, you waste your life? You know, that's, that's what we need to think about. What is worthy of investing our life in? Today we're going to look at, there's almost we could point to, we're going to point to one element, uh, aspect, or of an, one investment. Okay, so I'm giving investment advice at church. All right, not financial investment advice, but how do I invest my life? What is worth my investing in? Here, here's, here's the answer. We must invest, really, that's shocking, I know, we must invest in making disciples. I mean, that's, if you want to say, I'm going to invest something in my life, this is where it's at. Jesus commissioned us, said, this is what you need to do, this is your job. Go and make disciples. Share the good news, those people accept Christ, train them up. Jesus served as an example to us. In Luke 19.10, he says what? He says, I came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. He lists several reasons why he came. But he said, you know, I came to seek and save the lost. He says in Acts 1, he says, you know, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you will, be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So he, he commissions us. He's just an example to us. He gives the Holy Spirit to empower us to do this one thing, to make disciples. That's our challenge. The Apostle Paul, that's what we should invest our life in. The Apostle Paul shares about how he invested his life in the believers at Thessalonica. And, and what happens is he, he is uh, he's booted out of town, chased out of town, and uh, there's some problems there. There's people are thinking he's deserted them. They, they don't really care about them, uh, what's going on. And he's saying, hey, this isn't voluntary. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. He's just saying, we care about you. It's not like people are saying, we don't care. They just left. They, they just were using you. That's not the case. He said, we really cared about you. We tried to come back. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again. But Satan, he says, Satan prevented us from, from coming. And again, the context of this, this particular passage in Thessalonians, which we've been going through, is, uh, you know, right now, is, is people are saying they just were trying to use him. They didn't care about him. He's saying, that's not true. We really did care about you, and we tried to come, but Satan hindered us from coming. And it makes clear, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's not our main issue, but it tells us that Satan is, uh, is you can go back to the last one just for a second. Satan is, is uh, working, he has the power to hinder Christ's servants, uh, in that way, he's, he's our adversary. It's a spiritual battle when you're trying to make disciples. It's a spiritual battle. It's not just a, a job we do. It's something that's it's, it's spiritual activity, and there's spiritual opposition. And, and the reality, Scripture tells us, Satan. But he, Satan's not omnipotent. He can only do what God allows. You look at Job in chapter 1, you see God allows certain things. Um, why he allows things, we don't know. But Satan can hinder us, but he cannot prevent us from carrying out what God wants us to carry out. You know, it's interesting because... Paul doesn't say, you know, like, well, there's a demon on every rock. It's Satan stopped us here. It's Satan stopped us here. Because you look at Acts 16, when Paul's trying to go preach to Asia and Bithynia, he's trying to go there, and it says God didn't allow them. So sometimes he, he sees this is Satan stopping us. Sometimes he sees God didn't allow us. He prevented us from going there. How, does, how do we know the difference from those? We're not really told, you know. I mean, I think Satan, I mean, I think Paul... Um, Maybe God gave him spiritual discernment at this point to, to discern the difference between the two. Maybe it's hindsight. When he looks back, he goes, well, that was Satan. This was God. We don't really know. Um, but what we know is that we have an adversary, and we know that God is sovereign over all, and he allows certain things. And we just need to be aware and, and to understand that. But I want to get back to our, our, uh, our theme here, where we invest our lives, sharing the good news of Christ. Paul speaks um, after this. He says, hey, we wanted to come to you. But then this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. After all, uh, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud, proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? What's going to be our hope, our joy, our reward, our crown when we stand before Christ at judgment? What is it? And he says, it is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. You, you know, the converse of Thessalonica, the people he invested in, the people that came to Christ, he's saying that's... That's our reward. That's our crown. That's our joy. When we stand for Christ, that's we know we, we, we're going to be rewarded for that. And this is the fruit of our, you are the fruit of our life investments. You're the proof of what we have done. And, and uh, so we look back and say, our lives are worthy because we invest in discipleship and it is you. You are our, uh, our hope, joy, crown, reward. I'll give you an example of this in, uh, in, a, uh, in a movie, okay? Maybe you've seen this. Uh, just a, a clip I want to look at for just a minute. Mr. Holland's Opus, I don't know if you've seen that. Mr. Holland's Opus, he's a, he's a 
music teacher that was in Portland, Oregon. This is a movie, okay, not real life. But what he does is he, he wants to create this opus. He spends his life wanting to do this, but he, uh, he can't afford it, so he goes and he teaches what, what he thinks is for a short time. But uh, family pressures, job pressures, he realizes he's not going to be a famous musician, so he invests 35 years in his students' lives, pouring his life into them. And he has, uh, the music program's been cut. He's coming to the, his last schools out for a couple days. He's cleaning out his classroom with his wife and his son. And he's walking out of his classroom for the last time, and he hears some noise in the auditorium. And he heads to the auditorium, and he opens the door. And this is uh, what he comes upon when he opens the door. to be a little late, so I guess it's up to me to begin. Um, when word first got out that the music program was cut and about the retirement of my husband, well, I've never seen such a response from the community. Oh, looks like my watch is fast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our governor and Kennedy High School alumnus the most honorable Gertrude Lang. Apologies for my tardiness, and uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know 
Yes, I brought a note from my mother. <laughs> Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. I watched that and you, know, I, you think, wow, wouldn't that be great to have people respond in such a way. I watch it, I cry. The music's so powerful, it moves you, you know, in that way. But, you know, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, as wonderful as that was, what the Apostle talk, talking about is so much greater. Because it's not the applause of people and students, as wonderful as that might be, it's, uh, it ends in this earth, you know, if it's not for investment for eternity. Um, it can be a great, wonderful thing, and warm fuzzies, and, and, and nice. But it's uh, the aim that we should have is the applause of heaven, not the applause of men. You know, and that's what he's talking about. When he points to these people, similar idea, but he's saying, you, what she said there was, we are your symphony. We are the melodies and the notes of your, your opus, your composition. We are the music of your life. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying when he talks about these folks in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. You are our reward. You're our joy. You're our crown, eternally speaking. In, in that way. Uh, he's pointing to the fruit of his life investment, saying, you know, uh, Matthew 6, 19, 20, I, I put my treasure in heaven. I put my treasure on the things here on earth. I invested in people for eternity and anticipates the applause of heaven. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, again, talk about judgment. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. He will bring our darkest secrets to light. He'll reveal, reveal our private motives. motives. Then... God will give to each one whatever praise is due. I just think how wonderful it is. God's going to give us praise uh, if we're worthy of that. I mean, what a great uh, statement, the applause of heaven. Also, there's a, the idea, you know, this song years ago written, thank you. When you get to heaven, people come and say thank you. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for giving to that missionary. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. That element in heaven, the joy that comes with that. You know, when I, when I read 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, 2, 19, and 20, I was asking myself the question, so is my hope, joy, crown, reward based on how many people came to Christ through my life and my ministry? Um, you know, I thought, if I'm Billy Graham, I'd be thinking, that's pretty cool. Uh, but for most of us everyday people, we're thinking, well, I'm going to be kind of standing there empty-handed. I'm not too excited about this verse uh, in, that, in that way. And how do I deal with that? And I think that can't be the case for a couple reasons. And and one, one is, uh, you know, so you just know that uh, one plants, one waters, God causes a growth. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 5 through 8. After all, 
there's, there's a debate going on. Some people are following Paul, some are following Apollos, and he's trying to say, wait a minute, step back for a second. After all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it is God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Some plant, some water, some harvest, God causes the growth. All are going to be rewarded in that process. Billy Graham didn't uh, do anything by himself. Uh, there was all kinds of people who were behind the scenes doing this, doing that, setting up, doing evangelism, meeting with people, singing, musicians. It all came together. They all did their work. And all will be rewarded in that, in that way. Um, you know, I think back in, in when I was uh, in seminary, I worked as a youth pastor part-time at Lentz Baptist Church. Spent three years there. And our group grew a little bit. We didn't see a lot of conversion growth that I can, can remember. And that was disheartening. Uh, and then we, we moved to Lincoln City. And like, like a month or maybe two at the most after we left uh, Portland, Kurt Thielen, my really good friend, became the, uh, the part-time youth pastor there. And he contacted me and said, Nine kids had committed their life to Jesus Christ. And he said, Ted, man, you invest in these kids. And, and I was very thankful. I, you know, I planted and watered, and Kurt harvested. I was also kind of like, man, how come I didn't get to harvest? You know? That was kind of disappointing. We had a, we had a neighbor, Della, who uh, Janelle and we, our family befriended their daughter, and, and, uh, and Della and Bronte and, and uh, invested in their lives. And Janelle invited Della to all kinds of church things and events, and, and I think she came to one church event in, in the years that we knew her. And they, uh, her husband got a job in another part in Washington. They moved away. And again, it was probably a couple months maybe when Della calls. She says, I accepted Christ. The neighbor invited me over for coffee, and I became a Christian. And we're like, hallelujah. What? You know? I was exciting, and Bronte became a Christian, and we're just like, this is fantastic. You know? We planted, we watered, God caused growth, and somebody else sitting over coffee in Washington got to be the harvester. Um, it's not that one's better or worse. Than, it's just that's how God works, and we're all rewarded for the work that we have, have done. So it's important to say, I, I need to invest and do my work, and God's going to reward me in that process as I invest in that. It's not, did I, was I there the harvester? That's not the issue. Here's a second reason why it can't be true and the reward is not based on the number of conversions is, is the gifting that God gives. God does gift some people with the gift of evangelism. Ephesians 4.11 talks about following. He's, some people just can do it. I've shared. You know, my friend Ruth, Falnick, she's the best evangelist I've known and she shares and she tells me, here, try this, do that. And I do the same thing and people like look at me weird, you know, like, what's that? You know, I've told you. She said, well, one thing I do is pray with people. I've shared this. And she's I just pray with them. People, no one's ever turned me down. So I had a guy I knew from basketball came, told me his problems. I said, can I pray with you? And he said, no, that'd be weird, you know? Um, so, but Ruth can do it. And Ruth would say, I mean, she could give me the script where I could say the same thing. But for some reason, God has given her a gifting and, and evangelism, and people accept Christ through that in that, in that way. But those are, those are people who I would say are direct evangelists. There's indirect, which are all of those other people behind the scenes who can help because of their gifting to help make disciples. You look at uh, gifting lists like Romans, Romans chapter 12. Um, it says this, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 
okay? So if he's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. People who have that direct gift of sharing the good news. But if your gift is serving others, serve them well. You're, you're serving. You're planting seeds. You're watering seeds. You're serving. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it and do it gladly. Um, when all believers fulfill their role and do what God's gifted them to do, things happen in the kingdom. And several things, several results, uh, you know, people come to Christ, but one is we function as a church that is healthy and growing and full of love. Ephesians 4.16, I've given you this verse over and over again. Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work that God has given you, equipped you for. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. This is a realization that's described in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, it talks about the body, likens a church to a physical body. And some are the eyes, some are the feet, some are the hands, some are the inner parts that make things happen. Um, is one part more important than the other? No. We need all parts. And if you have one part of your body that's hurting, you know that it, your focus can go there. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it's important that, that all parts are working together so that we can, um, can carry out what God has given us. When, 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 when a church is functioning in that way, when you know this is my gifting, this is my passion, this is my experience, and I'm using that, and I'm doing my part, and everyone's doing their part, and you're working for that same common goal, you're focused on people coming to Christ and people growing, the church isn't a church, the church like that don't have a lot of whining or complaining or worrying about what color the paint is or this, this thing or that thing or do, do kids wearing hats in church or do they have tattoos or, you know, um, what's, pick out what you don't like, okay? We have all kinds of gripes. We have our personal preferences. We do. I do. I mean, there's times I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the color of that. I, believe me, I have opinions, you know? Uh, and there's things I don't like. But, you know, that's not important, eternally speaking. The biggest issue is, are we investing in people coming to Christ? And, and when we're doing that, when we're all focused, there, you, you forget that, and there's an energy and enthusiasm. You go on a short-term mission trip where everyone's focused on, on we're carrying out this ministry. You lose sight of how hot it is in some ways. It's hot, but you know, that's not what you're focused. Focus on, man, the ministry was great at the church today, and we saw kids accept Christ. We saw things happen. We, we all came together. We helped each other out you know, in that way. Every Sunday morning, that's the focus, because there's people that set up chairs. There's people that practice music. There's people that pass out bulletins and greet you in the door. People that do all kinds of things. That, children's ministry, why? So we can make disciples, so we can grow in our faith. It's a coming together in that, in that way. So it's important to under, understand that. You know, secondly, it's, uh, you know, we can say um, we, we're living, we're, not, we're working together as a church, but we're constantly living each day knowing we're living a life of value in the eyes of God. You know, a driving verse for me in my life is Acts 20, 24. The Apostle Paul, it's his last time he's meeting with the Ephesian elders. He's got, not going to see them again. He's given his last counsel. And he says this, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. My life is worth nothing. It has no value. It's of no account unless I use it for the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. We all have a work assigned us. We've talked about this before, but sometimes, again, I think we just think, well, my, my work is to go to church. That's not our work. God's gifted us. He's empowered us to, to do the work to, to do that. And so it's important when we, when we come to understand that, 
we can have great value. I'm fulfilling the mission that God has given me, and there's a value knowing each and every day I'm doing what God has called me to do. Find there's an anticipation of the coming hope and joy and reward and crown that uh, comes with, with doing what God's called you to do. As the Apostle Paul says there at that moment, just saying, hey, you're it. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my reward. You're my hope. As I stand before Jesus Christ because I've invested in these folks and they've come to know Jesus Christ. And, and so he says, you know, some may be planting, some may be watering, some may be harvesting, but it's understanding that before God, I'm doing what God's called me to do and helping to make disciples. So, you know, it's just to pull this together in, in this way. You know, there's a, Paul has a real delight looking forward to, uh, to his judgment because he knows these folks are going to be, be there. And in, Jesus counsels us to invest in heaven. Uh, he said, this is what you should be investing in your life in, things of heaven, not here, things of earth. Acts 20, 24 is a reminder that our life has no value unless we're using it for the work assigned us that Jesus commissioned us to make disciples, use what God's gifted you to do that. So with all that on the table, um, what are we to invest? How are we? This is our, our investment is to make disciples, but what, what is it, what's the extent of our investment? I mean, Apostle Paul, it's everything. They're all in. Uh, they're not holding anything back. Every day they're kind of saying, okay, is this, is this go towards our investment or not? Is this worth our time, our talent, our treasure or not? If it doesn't help in making disciples... Let's just set it aside. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to do that. And you think, man, that's, when I think about that, can I, am I capable of making such a commitment every day to say, I'm not going to do things that don't affect the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm not going to waste my time with that. Uh, that's a hard thing to process and to put on every single day. But I know it's possible. I know it's possible because I've been around people who know their time is limited. They know they have weeks or months to live. And it doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen people who just, they get a laser-like focus. And they say, this is what's important. None of this rest of stuff matters. And so they start sharing the gospel without inhibitions. And they start saying, this is what's really important. And they, they, I've seen it again and again. People just have that focus because they realize, hey, in eternity, that doesn't matter. In eternity, that doesn't matter. What matters is telling people about Jesus. What matters is people growing. What matters is my, my shining for Christ in the situation I'm facing right now. And they're facing the end of their life. And yet God gives them that sometimes, not all people, but sometimes people have that. And imagine the impact we could have if we had such a a laser-like focus without that weighing on us. Uh, Amazing. In contrast to that, contrast to that laser-like focus and living our lives solely for the kingdom of God can be those who pursue all the things of this world, trying to find meaning and purpose, investing their lives in the things of this life. King Solomon, considered the wisest guy who ever walked this earth, did that experiment in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, if you remember that, but Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he talks about, you know, he says, I, I tried to find meaning and in, in purpose in, in pleasure. I tried to find it in wine. I tried to find it in laughter, in building huge homes, planting beautiful vineyards, gardens, parks with fruit trees, and after he'd done all that, this is verse like six, he built reservoirs. Go back, there we go. He built reservoirs to collect the, the water to irrigate many flourishing groves. He says, I bought slaves, both men and women. Others were born in my household. I owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, treasured many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. 
I had everything a man could desire. I say became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But this is his conclusion. He's, he's invested his life in all these things, trying to find, is there meaning in this? Is there meaning in laughter? Is there meaning in pleasure? Is there meaning in women, music, building things? He says, you know what? As I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Under the sun, without God, it's all empty. It's all meaningless. And it's what we so often invest our lives in. His conclusion at the end of his, his sermon was, fear God and obey his commands, because you all got to stand before God. Um, you know, it's, it's, that was his conclusion at the, at the chapter 12, which I didn't, I didn't put up there. You know, it's uh, the late Chuck Colson talked about people who invested in such things as just meaningless. And he told about his town in Naples, Florida. Uh, Naples, Florida, he said, is like a garden paradise, and there's golf courses everywhere. And he said that's where uh, all the CEOs of major corporations come. They retire, and they say, this is it. You know, 27 golf courses, miles Sparkling Beach, the best country clubs. He says, I watch these guys. They're powerful people. They have a New York look on their face, and they're determined. But now, all of a sudden, they start measuring their lives by how many golf games they can get in. And he said this, I often say, I often say to them, which when he was alive, he did, do you really want to live your life counting up the number of times you chase that little white ball around these greens? They kind of chuckle, but it's a nervous chuckle, because in six months, they've realized how, how banal, how how trite, how empty, how predictable uh, their, their lives are. And they've got beautiful homes, castles. And when they get bored with that, they build a bigger castle, Solomon. And they're miserable. The object of life is not what we think it is, which is to achieve money, power, and pleasure. That's not the holy grail. The object of life is the maturing of the soul, growing as a disciple. And you reflect that maturing of the soul when you care more for other people than yourself, when you tell other people about Christ, when you say, I want you to know Jesus. I want not chase a white ball around a golf course or get more money or power or whatever. He realizes it's empty. That's the opposite side of the coin. I mean, we know this, I think, most of us. But we still get sucked into living our lives for the things of this world. The young man I talked about last night, he, I mean, he knew stuff. I said, you know all the right stuff to do. He says, I do. Try number five. But I said, I'm going to pray this time you're successful, that you realize not just, like all of us, I know the right thing to do, but so often we don't do it, as Apostle Paul talks about. We know it. The challenge is, God help us to live our lives for what really matters, to invest our lives in what's really important not in the things of this world we get sucked into. There, there's an old hymn. It's written by Avis Marguerite Bergeson Christensen. She wrote the words, not the music. I like the words. I don't like the music, so we're not going to sing it. All right? But the words of the second verse are really what we talked about today. Only one life is the name of the hymn. Only one life to offer. And she says this, only this hour is mine, Lord. May it be used to thee. Life is short, and God, you've given me this hour, and I want to use it for your glory. May every passing moment count for eternity, saying, listen, 
every moment of my life, I want to live for eternity, not for stuff of this life. She realizes this life is empty. Souls, what is that? What counts for eternity? Souls about me are dying, dying in sin and shame. Help me to bring them the message of Calvary's redemption in thy glorious name. She captured in this one verse, this is what life is worth investing in. It's not about stuff. Passing moments, may, may, may I use them to count for eternity. What's going to count for eternity? I want to invest in the things of, of eternity. You know, he says, you know, put your treasure in heaven, not here on earth. But the, the challenging question again is, what am I investing my life in? And is it worthy of my investment? That is a huge question. And we can easily answer, oh, yes. I know, I can easily answer. I'm invested for the Lord. But really, we step back and say, do I have a laser focus? Am I really investing my time, treasure, talent, resources in making disciples, carrying out the commission that Jesus gave us, following the example that Jesus did, coming to seek and save the lost, and living by the power he has given us to go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's our job. That's what is worth our investment of our life, not stuff, not power, not position. And again, I'm repeating myself, but it's because it's so important because we just know it, but we don't live it. Our challenge, may God help us. May God help us to have the power to obey and to live out for eternity what's really important, invest in things of eternity. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We desperately need your help because so, so often we know. We know the right thing to do, but we don't do it. And you tell us to him it is sin. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not live lives that are uh, displeasing to you, but we would invest, invest in things of eternity. Lord, we don't want the applause of men. We want the applause, your applause in heaven, your praise. And so, Lord, may, uh, may that be a reality as we invest in, uh, in the lives of others and see them come to know you as Savior and Lord, see them uh, grow in their walk with you. And Lord, again, that may be direct, it may be behind the scenes in different ways we're using our gifting and passion, Lord. But Lord, help us to invest in things of eternity. I just ask you to pray, just to quiet your own heart. Maybe there's a commitment you need to make, a sin you need to confess, or help you need to ask for right now. Just take time to do that just for, for a moment. Lord, may we use the one life we have to offer for your glory and by your power. Pray in your name. Amen.